Boy, customers are ferocious. Uh, you folks out there are just shopping, and it's been busy. Uh, we've had a lot of questions coming into the garden center. Make sure, don't hesitate to call. You can call 775-1310 or 877-393-8255 if you've got a question. Uh, we are live, second week in a row. Man, first week went okay. You know, a little improvement here or there, but uh, I thought uh, things went along pretty well. Uh, this week, we've got a lot going on, though. Um, we're going to be talking downy mildews with downy mildew on impatience. And uh, Lois Stack's going to be joining us on the phone. Uh, unfortunately, we won't be able to take questions uh, while she's on the phone, but uh, we'll be able to answer some questions afterwards um, or before if you have questions. Um, but what I will say is uh, Lois is an excellent horticulturist uh, from the University of Maine Cooperative Extension, and uh, we'll get into it with her here in probably about 15 minutes or so. And uh, the outside plants are starting to explode. Now, we could use some rain. That doesn't mean I'm calling for rain. It can rain between 6 at night and 6 in the morning. That's a perfect storm for a nursery person if it rains between 6 at night and 6 in the morning. That means all of you folks can get out and enjoy your gardens during the day, and we get beautiful rain that will flourish our plants. Um, but what I want to talk about to start today is, you know, all the things that are starting to bloom. We're starting to push growth on everything. Um, the maples are blooming. Uh, our tulips and daffodils are showing great color. Our rhododendrons and azaleas are starting to pop. Uh, quints are starting to show their their glory. Your lawn may need to be mowed this weekend. I have not mowed my lawn. I love the smell of fresh-cut grass. Um, but that's one chore that we have to do here very soon. But what I want to talk about a little bit is your lawns, uh, we're having some problems on them this spring. Um, we've been having snow mold issues that customers have been coming in we've been having grub issues we've been having plow damage so grass seed and lawn maintenance is something that a lot of you folks are coming into the nursery and i've got a question from uh kim that basically is something's tearing up my lawn um what is going on it seems to be happening at night this is a very common question that's coming in every single day, uh, and what it is is skunks or raccoons. Uh, they're feeding on grubs that are attacking a lawn. So if you're driving down the road and you see a big brown patch and it looks like someone rototilled it, no one's been rototilling your lawn at night, I'm pretty sure, um, unless you've got one of those really active gardeners that has a light on their rototiller. Which can happen. Um, I have seen a few crazy gardeners over the years that, that uh, you know, don't have enough hours in the day like myself. Um, but grubs are active right now. And the thing that customers are coming in and they're talking to us in the nursery is, you know, can I use milky spore on this? Now, milky spore is an organic treatment for Japanese beetle grub. Unfortunately, it does not fix every single grub in your lawn. So this particular situation of what's going on in your lawn um, could be a whole host of different grubs. But milky spore will not take care of it. Now, you by putting milky spore down anytime now, 
you're inoculating your lawn for later on in the season for when those Japanese beetle grubs start to emerge. Japanese beetle grubs typically start becoming active sometime mid-June through 4th of July. Um, Adults usually almost every single year show up around the 4th of July. So getting milky spore down anytime now is not a bad idea for that. But unfortunately we have to treat these particular grubs with either nematodes, um, which we don't carry nematodes because they have a very limited shelf life. So you need to go online and and purchase those um, and have them shipped. Uh, Then you need to water them into your lawn or you might have to chemically treat them. Um, with a product like Grub Beater or eight uh, systemic granules or or whatnot. Um, I always recommend people, if they're treating, treat as small a spot as you possibly need to. Grubs are not everywhere on your lawn. You don't need to do the whole lawn. But go maybe 10 feet beyond where the infestation is. Um, That, to me, you know, is being responsible. You're doing as little treatment as possible. And uh, taking care of the problem uh, as quick as as you possibly can. So certainly make sure and get out there, treat those lawns. It's not going to go away. Then when we start talking snow mold, uh, snow mold is something that, you know, basically you'll have big patches of grass that are completely dead. They were dead as soon as the snow disappeared. It typically breeds in between the ice and the grass as we have the melting in the early spring. Um, That is something that we need to treat with a fungicide, uh, then reseed, and it's a little bit something that you, you know, will reoccur if you don't treat it most of the time. So um, I would definitely make sure you treat that uh, as soon as possible. So your lawns are kind of under attack. Uh, I know that's going on because there's leagues of you coming into the garden center just asking about this day in and day out. So go out, inspect your lawn. Uh, while you're mowing, you probably may notice some of this. Uh, the skunks have been very active at night. So downy mildew. Let's talk a little bit about downy mildew. Lois Stack is going to be here joining us. And we also, in the second hour, have Andy Aiken from... Proven Winners, um, which we'll be talking with Andy about what's new with Proven Winners, and we'll also be talking about what they're doing for replacements uh, in their line to replace impatients. Um, Now, downy mildew doesn't affect all impatients, uh, so we'll talk a lot with Lois about what impatients are affected and what aren't. We still are selling impatients. I want to make that clear. This is not affecting everyone, but it is something that we need to pay attention to. And the crop of impatience look amazing this year. We just put them on the bench. But today is Maine Nursery and Greenhouse Day. This is an event that our industry has has been getting off the ground for, I think this is the third or fourth season now. Time flies when you're having fun. But the event today is just like Maine Maple Sunday. That's what we're trying to do with this event. So our industry, the horticulture industry, the garden centers, the local garden centers here in Maine, today is Maine Nursery and Greenhouse Day. I I can't stress how important that is. It's the first weekend in May every year. 
And there will be fun events going on at many garden centers. Um, we have not a bunch of special things going on. We just have a whole lot of beautiful stuff that's ready. But check the website out. Um, you know, certainly many of the garden centers check their websites because I'm sure they've got different things going on. But Maine Nursery and Greenhouse Day, we fashioned after Maine Maple Sunday. So it's our day. You may not have heard about it due to the fact that we haven't been able to get a lot of press for it. So I'm trying to plug it as much as possible. But definitely get into your local garden center today, even if it's just for a walk. Uh, it's time. The annuals are out at Estabrooks. We are in full swing. Uh, we've been very busy the last couple of days shipping annuals to our Scarborough and Kennebunk store. We've got a lot of annuals and hanging baskets and, and stuff uh, um, all ready to go. And so spring has sprung. If you look out the window, the trees are leafing out. The lawns are green. Everybody's ready to go. The perennials are popping out of the ground. You can, at this point, probably see what plants have damage and need to be replaced or, or what perennials didn't come back. But now's the time to start planting some annuals also. So it's off to the races. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, we've got Lois on the line. Uh, we'll get her set up, and after the break, we will, uh, we'll get going on Downy Mildew. So we'll be back for more of the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. We know you have lots of choices when buying plants and garden supplies. But wouldn't you rather come to someone at your local garden center where you know us and we know you? Someone who knows Maine soil, Maine's climate, and knows what plants will thrive here. Someone who will make sure you find what you're looking for here or at one of our other independent garden centers. We support each other and work together to satisfy you. Wouldn't you rather come to your local garden center? We're the Independent Garden Centers of Maine at maineigc.com. Do you have planting insurance? You can with Biotone Starter Plus from Mespoma. It's the ultimate starter plant food, and you can use it for everything you plant. Just mix it in with the soil. It works like three products in one to guarantee your success, even in poor soils. The secret is a special blend of natural organic plant food, beneficial microbes, and mycorrhizal fungi. The result is that plants grow faster, roots grow deeper, and flowers and vegetables become more abundant. Maintain your plants with the Tones, a full line of organic plant foods including Holly Tone, Plant Tone, and Rose Tone. There's a tone for almost every tree, shrub, flower, or vegetable. Best of all, every Espoma product is safe for people, pets, and the environment. Look for Biotone Starter Plus at your local garden center and visit espoma.com slash videos for product info and valuable gardening tips. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrook. I'm Tom Estabrook, your host, and we are going to bring Lois Stack on. Uh, she is University of Maine Cooperative Extension Horticultural Specialist. Uh, good morning, Lois. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for having me on the radio. Oh, thanks for, thanks for getting up so early. <laughs> not a problem. <laughs> on, on a Saturday morning in spring, how can you not be up early? Uh, I've been up for a while. Um, 
Downy mildew. Yeah. Big problem, huh? It is. Um, all of the downy mildews are problems. I, I think people may have seen downy mildew for years on other plants without really thinking about it. We're all familiar with uh, powdery mildew, but downy mildew is a little different on every plant. So if you've had basil that just kind of collapses, you've probably had basil downy mildew. But the one we're really worried about this year is a completely different organism. It's called impatience downy mildew. Um, and it has just caused serious problems on impatience, not only in Maine. Um, in fact, our problems haven't been terrible yet. Um, but, but across the world and in Europe, where it's been active and devastating longer than in the U.S., um, the Europeans are equally worried as we are. Yeah, it, and do we know how downy mildew got here? Did it come in on cuttings or...? Uh, to my knowledge, that's not truly known. Um, there are probably several pathways by which it came. Um, disease organisms, and downy mildew is a fungus, mm-hmm. are, are simpler organisms than, than people and plants, so they can mutate and become more or less serious fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. And with plants moving around as much as they do, it, it, it doesn't take a long time for things to get spread around. Right, right. And and so one question customers have been really asking, this is specific to the old-fashioned impatience, correct? Well, in our gardens, it is specific to the old-fashioned impatience, which for, for the botany gardeners mm. is impatience wallerina. Mm-hmm. There are two other plants that it affects, but uh, one of them is a native plant. Um, it's the orange impatience called jewelweed that people often see at the edges of old fields. Mm-hmm. And the other one is a purple jewelweed that's a very aggressive, invasive plant. Uh, people are unlikely to have either one of those in their gardens. So the one plant, the only plant we're likely to see it on in our landscapes is old-fashioned garden impatience. And in other states, basically like Florida and some other southern states, it's really wiped out these Walleriana hybrids. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, I, I, I think... Um, a disease is not personal until we have our own experience with it. So Absolutely. we've heard news about this disease for a few years. Um, Europe has had it for, oh, five-plus years, and it's so serious in Europe that people are not growing impatience, period. So it, it once it hits and really becomes established, it's just a devastating disease. And you're right, in the southeast, it, it has just melted impatience. And and with downy mildew on impatience, uh, if customers had it last year, I mean, how does it replicate? Does it stay in the soil? Um, you know, how does it move? You know, it is such a new disease right. after only a few years that we're not entirely sure that it will overwinter uh, successfully here. Um, A lot of that work is still being done. It's believed to overwinter in the north, but with plant materials moving around so much, it almost doesn't matter if it overwinters here because it will arrive. Uh, Fungi reproduce by not by seeds but by spores, which are very tiny dust-like structures that can move easily in the wind. Mm -hmm. I think everybody will remember the late blight uh, problems of a couple of years ago, 2009-2010, um, that were devastating on our tomatoes. Right. Um, whether people had it one year, 
didn't necessarily determine whether they had it the next year. But that's a, actually a good case to call back to. If you remember in 2009, everybody was so worried about um, uh, late blight on tomatoes and the potential for it on our potato crop. And in 2010, we didn't know what would happen, but that's the nature of plant diseases. It takes the disease plus the right plant to grow on plus the right environment. So it's somewhat unpredictable um, as to whether any disease, including in patients downy mildew, will appear in one place or another. Absolutely. And that's the thing. I mean, we had some for sure on some impatience uh, in in my garden and and some at the garden center in some of the gardens. It was very evident, like, you know, the description, the melting away. That That's a good description of, of what happens. So what are the signs when it starts start, first starts to kind of show up? Well, you know, that's a great question because I, I think people will see it early uh, in its early stages if they're really out in their gardens weeding and watering and taking care of their plants and really checking them. The, one of the first symptoms that would be seen is on the undersides of the leaves. Now, if you, it, it always helps to know what normal looks like when you're looking for a disease. So if you go out to see impatience early in the season, a healthy impatience, the top of the leaf is kind of a medium green color. And if you flip over the leaf, it is lighter green. So it's good to establish a sense in your mind of what that lighter green is like. Because when impatience downy mildew strikes, the undersides of the leaves turn white. And, you know, if you haven't, if you haven't been looking at your impatience, you might look and say, well, I don't know if that's white or just lighter green. But, but if you have a sense of what's normal when you see this disease, you will know it when you see it. Um, and I'm sure that you remember from last year that the undersides of the leaves just turned white. Mm. Now, later, um, as the disease progresses and really causes, enters the tissue and causes the leaf to decline, um, the, the plants just defoliate. And I've, I've heard it described by so many um, funny descriptions of, of little sticks sticking up or mm-hmm. little gnomes without heads. Um, it's just the stems remain upright, and if you look at impatience, the stems kind of arch upward, maybe mm-hmm. between 4 inches and 18 or 20 inches, but all of the leaves just drop. So it's just those succulent, light green leaves sticking up without any cover. So so how would you describe it from your garden last year? Um, uh, melting, you know, just <laughs> just that that the impatience just... All of a sudden, the leaves just all melt, you know, kind of wilted. Then they just dropped off, and, and it just, it was very quick. Yeah. Um, it didn't take long. Yeah, and when did it happen in your garden? Um, I'm thinking the first signs kind of showed up a little bit after 4th of July. Mid-July um, mm-hmm. was what I, I'm thinking. Again, it's kind of one of those things where I didn't notice it until it was too late. Mm, um, mm-hmm. You know, they looked good one week, and, and I was watering, and everything was fine. And then I turned around, and I think we had a rainy stint, and uh, and then came back, and, whoa, something's going on here. And by the time, we you know, you figured it out, that was it. It was over. Yeah, and exactly what you describe is, is what people are seeing with this disease. 
Um, it takes over very quickly. Everything looks fine until mid to late summer, and then boom, it it just happens. So I think for a for a gardening um, person coming into a garden center, you see all those beautiful impatience, and you think, well, they're perfectly healthy. Um, let's plant them, and. I, I don't know if, that, if I can say that's a terrible idea um, because some people are risk takers, and if you have impatience that look good until August, maybe, maybe you're happy with that. But if you're a long-season gardener and want a healthy garden, um, it's, it's really quite impossible to predict whether the disease will occur or not. You can have very healthy plants from a garden center, but if the spores land on them in July, there isn't much you can do about that. So um, it is time for gardeners to start thinking about, well, let's try something new. Right. And we're talking with Lois Stack from uh, Cooperative Extension. Uh, and, you know, downy mildew, I think that's the thing that we want to understand with folks, that um, this disease, we are still growing in patients. Uh, we're, we're, we've cut our crop by probably 60%, 70%. So we won't have as many available I wouldn't say it's you can't plant them by any means, but maybe not in the numbers we have in the past. I think that's a great way to look at it. Um, if you know, impatience only came into our gardening lives in about the 1960s and 70s, which which seems like a long time ago. But you know what? Before that, people hardly planted impatience at all. But once this wonderful plant appeared on the market. And it kept getting better. I mean, it, it, it drops its flowers. It doesn't produce seeds or very few, so it's not a weed problem. It branches on its own. It has very few diseases, or at least historically. Uh, many colors. It's self-cleaning. It's season-long color. And when you have a plant like that, it's a plant that you say, wow, I could plant 500 of them. I could have a huge planting of this spectacular color in a shady spot in my garden, which has always been a big challenge. And so we've gotten in the habit of doing that. And many of our landscapes rely on large plantings of impatience to provide that, especially um, oh, white impatience in a shady spot where it just sparkles at night. Mm. But maybe it is time to take a look at a different method of planting. Maybe, maybe um, larger plants in smaller numbers so that we have more diversity in our landscape, so that if a disease or insect or animal causes damage in our yard to one kind of plant, we still have the others to rely on. So maybe going back to that idea of a little more diversity in our shade gardens is something to try this year. Yeah, I think I think that's an excellent idea in all parts of our landscape, you know, whether it be trees or shrubs or, I mean, we've got so many disease and insects coming down the pike that... We just don't know how they're going to affect, uh, you know, we don't want another, um, you know, uh, disease like attacked our elms, like Dutch elm disease, or, you know, this is the same type of scenario we're seeing with impatience. So diversity, I think, is, you know, very, very important. Um, so I think, Lois, let's take a quick break, and what we'll do is uh, come back, and we'll talk about what to replace these lovely impatience. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more for the joy of gardening on News Talk WLOB.
Regular old mulch leaving your plants wanting more? Casella Organics Nutri-Mulch is a superior mulch for improving any landscape. Made in Maine from aged native bark and earth life compost, its dark color and rich texture are ideal for perennials, ornamentals, trees, and shrubs. Earthlife Nutri-Mulch is nutrient-stabilized with compost, so the bark doesn't compete with plants for nutrients. Visit CaselaOrganics.com or call 800-4-COMPOST for a source near you. The Maine gardening season can often feel like a race. With cool early spring weather, this year is shaping up to be more of a sprint. Thankfully, spring has finally arrived and Estabrooks is here to help. With tons of all-new plants, tools, and supplies, along with your time-tested favorites, Estabrooks has everything you need to hit the ground running this spring. Don't know where to start? The gardening pros at Estabrooks will help you cross the finish line. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks, for the joy of gardening. Are you mom's favorite? With a hanging basket or patio pot from Estabrooks, you could be. Mother's Day is May 12th, and that means there's not much time left to show mom how much you care. From hanging baskets spilling with blooms to delightful planters full of her springtime favorites, Estabrooks has everything you need to make it a special day. Best of all, all hanging baskets and patio pots are now 20% off until Mother's Day. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks, for the joy of gardening. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrook. I'm Tom Estabrook, and we have the fortunate situation to be talking with Lois Stack from uh, University of Maine Cooperative Extension. Uh, is is that your right title? It is. Good right. job. It's All kind right. of a long title. So, um, I, I do work for Cooperative Extension. We have offices throughout the state, um, and I work with all of them and, and with the green industry. So I work with people like Tom and, and nurseries and garden centers and arborists. And um, I, have to, I have to say that I think Extension is a great place to call. It's kind of a first stop if, you're, if you have a question about um, animals or plants or family health or small businesses. So give us a call. Absolutely. I think extension is a huge part. I don't think they get anywhere near enough support um, from our state government um, and or uh, our folks out there. Uh, they are just a huge, huge uh, uh, benefit for our industry um, and all kind of industries in the agricultural uh, realm. Um, so, Lois, let's talk a little. Downing, Downy Mildew, uh, we're talking that today. Big problem on impatience. Let's talk about some replacements, though, because, it, you know, if we take all away impatience, boy, there's a big hole in the landscape. <laughs> yes, there is. Um, and I, I think it's worth noting that most of our landscapes have more shade the longer we have them because our trees grow up. Mm -hmm. So we might start with a landscape with a few small trees and a lot of sunny spots, but over time our shade areas grow so it is a really important part of our home landscapes. So if we're going to grow other plants, um, I, I think that uh, we can kind of divide the plants that I think of, annual plants that I think of for shade, into a couple of groups. There are the plants that are fairly inexpensive to purchase, things like impatience, that you can plant in, maybe you want, 12 or 24 of them and make kind of a mass. So a few of those plants that I would think of right now 
everybody has pansies for sale. And mm-hmm. pansies and all of the violas are so cold tolerant that they can be popped into the ground right now. And what I find is that if you plant them early in the season, they perform better for the rest of the season because as cool season annuals, they really need to develop that root system when it's still cool. So if you're planning on pansies and violas, get them soon, get them in the ground, get them established, and you'll get a far better reward for the rest of the season. Yeah, and this weather is just amazing because we're having nice warm days and really cool nights. So, you know, they they will root very well really makes you want to get out to the garden center and get a few things and, and get them in the ground so that you see them. Um, another plant that would fall into that category would be flowering tobacco. Um, flowering tobaccos are any place from about 10 inches to 3 feet. Mm-hmm. Some of them are very fragrant. Um, whites, which aren't always nice in a shade garden, but lots of shades of pinks and pale green and chartreuse and yellow and um, some some good colors, and, and again, lots of fragrance from that plant. Um, another plant that's small and, and comes in four packs or six packs that you can get several uh, in one purchase would be sweet alyssum. And the alyssums, I, I think the whites are the best, although they also come in some pinks and rose colors. Um, but some of the newer um, sweet alyssums have very large and persistent flowers that give fragrance and color all season. Um, Lobelia is a plant that, um, Tom, are you, do you have it in hanging baskets as well as um, for the ground? Yep. Yep. Yeah, the, the trailing Lobelia is in baskets and window boxes and fence boxes and wall boxes are terrific with lavenders and whites and blues kind of cascading down. But the, the little Lobelias for an edge of a garden are stunning and for my money, I think Lobelia has the best blues of all of the annual flowers. So if you're looking for a, a true blue annual flower, Lobelia is terrific. Um, another one would be Broalia. Some of the Broalias are, um, or, or sometimes it's called amethyst flower, um, blues and whites again. Um, and they're often grown in bigger containers, but, but sometimes you can get them in the smaller containers as well. Mm-hmm. Now, when we bump up to a little bit bigger plant, we we don't lose, uh, we gain, because with a with a larger plant grown in maybe a four inch pot or a five inch pot, it's instant color, and you would think, well, it's older, it's gonna gonna kind of fail in midsummer, but it doesn't. It just keeps on going. So the four and five inch pots that um, maybe since they're bigger plants, you space them a little further apart and enjoy their form as well as their color. Um, those would include things like New Guinea impatiens, and again, the New Guinea impatiens are a different species from standard impatiens. They are not prone to downy mil- impatiens, downy mildew, um, bigger flowers, more color in the foliage, but the same branching, the same ability to flower all season without being deadheaded. And I think we've uh, we've maybe given this plant kind of uh, short shrift. Uh, we've We've, put, we've had standard impatience for the shade, and we've always said, well, now you can have an impatience for the sun because the New Guineas are sun-tolerant, to- mm-hmm. but they're also shade-tolerant. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is a time to go back to the New Guineas for a shade planting. And there's another group of um, hybrid impatience kind of halfway in between called the sun patients that will perform well, similar um, qualities, and no powdery mildew um, uh, susceptibility. 
Um, another plant in a in a larger pot would be bacopa. Um, that's a plant that you, you need to remember to water all summer so that it doesn't flop on you. Uh, my finding is with bacopa, if I let it wilt too much, it, it's hard to get back a little bit. But as long as I have it in a spot that stays a little moister, I put a little mulch around it and remember to water it once a week, it's very productive. Um, coleus, boy, that old-fashioned plant that keeps popping back up. And the newer colors are quite stunning. So if you haven't planted coleus in a long time and you still think of it as that plant with the pink and green leaves <laughs> that in midsummer when the heat hits, it produces those funny little flower clusters on the tips that you have to keep going and pinching off because if you don't pinch off the flowers, it gets leggy and lank. Take a look at the new, new um, coleus. They're... They're spectacular. Uh, they are very, very slow to flower. I've done field trials with, oh, I don't know, I think we had about 60 different coleus in the plantings. And of the new coleus, only one of them produced flowers during the growing season. So fabulous foliage, lots of spreading types, upright types, mounded types, lots of different colors that we just don't, don't remember in the old coleus. And the performance is incredible. Yeah, and, and, and I think on coleus, you know, again, a lot of the new ones are bred to be in more sun and also will take the shade. So you get different looks on each variety, whether they're in more sun or in shade. So you can have kind of a collage of color in your, in your uh, landscape. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, coleus is another, uh, there's one more note about coleus, and that is that, um, like impatience, it is actually a perennial. In our climate, of course, it dies in the fall if we leave it outside, but, but in the south, coleus is perennial and lives for, for many years. Um, so that means that since it's a true botanical perennial, if we keep it in a pot outdoors for the summer, we can bring it in for the winter and enjoy its color all winter. Mm -hmm. So it, it gives that little extra bonus. Um, Another group of plants like that, many of which are perennial and can be enjoyed for a long, long time, are the begonias. Um, there, there are a couple of groups of begonias that, boy, I have seen some outstanding begonias in greenhouses this spring. Yeah. Um, every time I leave a greenhouse, I've got another pot under my arm. <laughs> um, the, there are the little wax begonias. Now, wax begonia is, in a way, it's like the old impatience. It, it just flowers all summer. Um, pinks, whites are the two big color groups, and it just keeps pumping out more and more flowers. Some have bronze leaves, some have green leaves, so quite a lot of variety. They're quite inexpensive to buy. They're, they're nice, compact little plants, um, and, and they'll perform well all summer in shade or, or light sun. The other group of begonias, the perennial types, uh, most of us just grow them for one season and let them die in the fall. But but the the um, big begonias could be brought indoors for the winter, and the diversity in begonias is is really noteworthy. Books have been written about begonias, um, large leaves, small leaves. We uh, many of them are called angel wings because of the very unique shape of the leaves. Some of the leaves are crinkled on the edge. Some have an extra little curl of tissue at the edge of the leaf. So they have these little little curlicues all around the edges of the leaves. 
some the leaves kind of spiral back around each other, so they're like a, a twist of foliage um, curled around the, the um, leaf stem. Um, and the colors in the leaves are metallic and reflective, so they show up in a shade garden, especially on a, on a moonlit night. The flowers are interesting. Um, Tom, you'll have to show people when they come into the garden centers um, that begonias have two kinds of flowers. They have male flowers and female flowers. So when you look closely at your begonias, the closer you look, the more interesting they become. So I think that's a really underused group of plants that are, are just different from anything else that we have in our in our gardens. Yeah, I think begonias are going to be a huge, huge, huge thing. Uh, we're talking with Lois Stack from Maine Cooperative Extension about uh, downy mildew and what to plant. Um, you know, there's so many plants, uh, but I think begonias are going to be one of those that are definitely... Uh, going to be planted in much bigger numbers. Um, I know we've got a very good begonia crop. They're a little bit behind uh, as far as size right now, but they're coming on with these beautiful days of weather that we're having. Um, other other options? Well, you know, there are some more. Um, the, the begonia one really intrigues me because um, you know what I like about that plant? It is a plant that is so diverse and so unique that I think it will get people back into gardening in a in a way that they get excited about plants. I I think in some ways our landscapes have become so easy, we put in impatience and they just do it. And some of these other and and we walk by them and we say, "Yep, they still look good." And they do, but but they look the same every day. The begonias are different. They'll change over the course of the year. They'll get to be their characteristic shape. Um, they'll produce both the male and female flowers, which are definitely both showy, but different on the plant. Mm -hmm. As the plant matures, the leaf shape really takes over, and you'll see the development of those patterns and different, different shapes and twists in the leaves. And it's something that's going to make us look at the begonias every day, not just as we pass by, but we're going to stop and say, wow, look what's happening to it now. So I'm really excited about that group of plants. I, I think I see a whole new group of little gardeners coming along with all, all the kids that are going to see these plants and say, wow, that, that, it looks different from how it looked a week ago. Yeah, I... um, another plant that I think we have not grown, or two groups of plants that we haven't grown as much as maybe we could, are plants that are so special. They might be a, a real focal point in the shade garden, um, maybe in containers, so that kind of sets them apart and makes them makes people really look at them. I mean, the point of our gardens is to have people look. So Absolutely. One of, so. Those, one of those groups is Calla, C-A-L-L-A. Um, if, we, if we go to a, <clears throat> a really elegant garden or a, a really elegant wedding, sometimes the bride carries a bouquet of just a few callas. There's such a beautiful form that that funnel form with the point on it, kind of, in, it's in the same family as Jack in the Pulpit. So that similar tubular shape of a flower, in a very creamy white or a, a pale or even a dark pink, they're beautiful flowers. Yeah, um, can be brought indoors for um, cut flowers. 
calla lilies, right? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, yeah, calla, yeah. And, or calla lilies, sometimes yep. they're called, yes. Um, and I think that's a, a spectacular plant. It is a plant that you would want to put in a place that has nice, even moisture to keep it going for the whole summer, but definitely an exotic, tropical-looking plant for the shade garden. Yeah, we, and, find it, we find it mostly in pot crops now, kind of for Easter or, yes. or you know, um, yes. time frame. Um, they're limitedly available in the garden centers, would you, would you say? I would, and I think that um, when we go to the garden center, we have to explore the whole garden center. Sometimes you'll see callas not as, um, not as forced plants in a pot, but as a tuber that you plant in the garden and have mm-hmm. it come up. So, so look around a little bit for that one, but you will find it in some places. Um, and another plant that is um, in the same family but quite different is caladium, uh, C-A-L-L-A. D, or excuse me, C-A-L-A-D-I-U-M, caladium. Um, the, the caladium is an interesting crop. It's grown, as far as I know, the caladium um, tubers are produced 100% in Florida. It's a, so it's a tropical plant. Um, it's, it's kind of an American plant. The hybrids have been developed here and, and have, of course, spread around the country as a gardening plant. Um, they are a little slow to develop in the garden, but when you see a <laughs> caladium sure. leaf, it's quite unique. It's a fabulous plant. Um, you know, we've had problems in our garden center with with getting them to thrive. They, you know, we kind of kill them with kindness, I think. You know, they're <laughs> one of those plants that kind of want to be neglected almost. They need even moisture, but they don't want to be overly wet or um, they need plenty of heat so we've always found it's it's tough but man are they fabulous with the foliage and whatnot um, oh they are yes and and you know exactly what you describe is what I see as well um, and I um, I've really enjoyed the development of the container gardening um, movement across this country. Mm. We probably all have more containers than we did five years ago. Um, But now what I see are these beautiful um, glazed pots in garden centers. And caladium in a beautiful pot in a place that really stands out in the garden, that would be a stunner. Yeah. And Lois, we're going to take a quick break. Um, We'll be back with more from The Joy of Gardening by Astbrooks on News Talk WLOB. You may not know it, but most lawn fertilizers actually spread chemicals and pesticides across your entire lawn. Until now, that's been the history of lawn care products. It's also why Espoma has developed an affordable, all-natural lawn program that is safe for kids and pets. The program consists of four organic fertilizers that are specifically formulated to keep your lawn green. Each product lasts two and a half times longer than traditional chemical products, and they won't burn your lawn or leach away. You already know Espoma as a name you can trust. They've been making organic plant foods like Holly Tone and Plant Tone for over 84 years. Imagine a great-looking lawn that you're not afraid to walk barefoot on. It's a whole new day in lawn care. Look for Espoma organic lawn food products wherever quality lawn and garden products are sold. And visit Espoma.com videos to learn more about organic lawn care. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929. 
At Costa Maine Organic Products, we've known for a long time that plants love lobster just as much as people do. It's one of the reasons we started composting marine residuals back in 1996. And although we've had great success in getting gardeners and their plants hooked on lobster throughout New England, the Mid-Atlantic, and Midwest, the heart and soul of what we do is here in Maine. Plants love lobster because the calcium and chitin in the lobster shells break down in the composting process and become plant-ready food that help to make your plants strong and healthy. And of course, the plants don't use any butter, so they're even healthier. So support your local retailer and Maine's lobster industry by using Coast of Maine's Quaddy Lobster Compost in your garden. Coast of Maine, a lobster compost company. Approved for organic growers by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Visit us at www.coastofmaine.com. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook, and we are joined by Lois Stack, Maine Cooperative Extension Horticultural Specialist. Did I do well that time? You did great. All right. <laughs> so downy mildew, we've been talking replacements. Uh, we've, we've basically gone over everything from bacopas to coleus to begonias to broelias, uh, New Guinean patients, all kinds of good stuff. Um, other other hit, hits in the, uh, in the plant world on... On to take over this problem? Um, well, you know, I, I was just kind of reviewing the number of plants that we've already talked about. There's quite a list, isn't Absolutely. There? I mean, I think, I think that's what customers have to understand is they're not limited. It's, Absolutely. It's, you know, our gardens can change. Um, and it's time. It's time to make that change. Like you were saying, Impatience, we've kind of have been a crutch in our shady gardens for so long, and and it is a plant that is really easy for every gardener, whether you're an experienced gardener or someone just starting out. Impatience have been one of those things where you can just go grab a tray, plant them, fertilize them a few times. They grow, they look great, no deadheading, no care. We might have to do a little bit more work with some of these plants. We might, but, oh, isn't that the point? I mean, we're in Maine, and it's, it's summer is coming. It's such a nice time to be out. And, and really, um, many, some people um, have big, big gardens and spend lots and lots of time in it. But people who have a small garden and just want it to be easy, it's still nice to get out just for an hour on Saturday morning and do a little, well, a little cleanup and enjoy the flowers and, you know, it, it doesn't have to be work. It can be a pleasurable thing. Absolutely. I think with gardening, you know, you shouldn't really look at it as work. It should be enjoyable. Um, it, it should not be one of those things that is a chore. Uh, if it is, maybe you should go play golf or do something <laughs> else. But, Absolutely. you know, limited time on a lot of these things. I think like you were talking about the coleus, I, I think that's a low-maintenance plant. Once you plant it, you know, a little bit of fertilizer, um, very simple. Same thing with the New Guinean patients, sun patients. They act very, very similar, you know, to our old-fashioned patients, just with a larger flower in a little bit different form. Absolutely. You know, you've, um, you've reminded me that, that with your comment about um, oh, a little fertilizer and, and you know, they're, they're good to go. Um, I think the process of gardening is... 
the process of planting and care is maybe something we might mention here with these plants. Um, and, and it's the same with impatience. But just a reminder that when you go to a garden center and you look at the plants, um, I find that, I, well, Estabrooks, but also a lot of other garden centers are doing a fantastic job of displaying plants and inspiring people. I, I see displays where the whole display is about shade gardens, so it's easy for the customer to say, oh, okay, I'm in the shade area. The plants on this shelf are all going to do well in the shade. So, so I, now I see the plants from which I should be picking. Um, and I think that's a great start, but another part of that display, when you pick up the plant, there is almost always a label in that pot. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't pay enough attention to the label. The labels that are used in garden centers now have so much information on them. It's not just the little color picture and the name of the plant. It will tell you a, a number of tips that will help you succeed with that plant. And I think reading the label and thinking it through and saying, oh, yeah, this is a plant that I know how to do these things, and I'm going to make a commitment to taking care of this plant just with these few things. I can water once a week. I can add fertilizer. I can mulch, whatever it is, but but to make a note that, oh, yeah, now I have to get fertilizer and I need to remember to to get some mulch and to follow through on that and, and to really pay attention to the information on the signs and the labels and the, the professionals at the garden center and, this is, and to, to ask the question at that point before you even go home to say, whoa, I need some mulch. Can you tell me where to get that? And it, it might be right there or it might be at another place. But, but to make sure that by the time you get home and you're ready to plant that you have everything. There's nothing so frustrating as getting halfway through a project and realizing that you, you, you only bought half the stuff you need. So, so pay attention to the labels and, and make sure that you know the process you need to follow in order to, to plant any plant that you get. Um, when you are thinking about space, oftentimes on that label, the, there will be information about how far apart to place the plants. So when you go into the garden center, if you have a sense of how big your space is, you'll be able to buy enough plants so that when you get home you don't have to cram them all in or space them too far apart, that you'll have the right number. Tom, I'm sure you've had um, people come up to you in the garden center just like they call me, and and when you're trying to get a sense of their gardening space, you say, well, how big is the space? And the answer is, well, not that big. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that happened actually yesterday to to me, uh, a customer, um, you know, said, oh, I've got all kinds of room. And, and I said, okay, well, is it, you know, as big as this sales yard right here, or is it as big as this table? And she said, "Oh no, as big as this table." Uh, you know, and that, yeah. You know, so it, it it's all relative when when you're asking a customer uh, what their space is. Uh, it it is it's it's subjective, um, and and a lot of people aren't good about space. Exactly. We you know we don't do uh, length times width except in grade school, and then we forget how to do it. That's right. So, <laughs> yeah, just that little calculation to bring into the garden center means that you can give that information to the to the professional at the garden center, and then they have the information to give you a good recommendation. Yeah. And boy, I think that's what it's about is 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 making the right match with with your gardening style and your gardening skills and the space and the the conditions of the site. So, 
get the right number of plants for the space. Um, if, if you space plants correctly, it, it, there's another reason for doing that, and that is plant health. Um, plants do better when they're spaced properly, um, so, so be sure to get the right number. Um, after you've planted, <clears throat> if you give the plants, any plants, annuals, perennials, trees, shrubs, whatever it is, if you give them a week or two to root in, and during that time, really pay attention to the water. You'll probably water the day you plant and the next morning and probably the next day and maybe the next day or maybe two days after that. Gradually, you can lengthen out the, amount, the time between waterings to the point where you probably shouldn't be watering more than once a week during the summer. But getting that root system off to a really good start and then applying the mulch to protect that water and preserve it in the soil um, right. is, a, is a good idea. To And we'll be back for more of the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. Oh, and uh, goodbye, Lois. Thank you so much. We had to wrap up there uh, live. <laughs> we'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. News Radio. I'm Chris Foster. Nights from 6 till 8, it's all business and money with Tom Sullivan. All on News Talk WLOB and WLOBradio.com. And welcome back to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrook. I'm Tom Estabrook, and we are just second hour live. Second hour. First show, two hours. Uh, wow. Kind of uh, got a little mixed up on the transition there. It's new. You know, I'm going to mess up a few times. But I want to thank Lois Stack. Uh, she is just a wealth of knowledge. I think that was really helpful. I know I learned a lot about downy mildew um, and just how to kind of look and see what might happen. Um, a couple things I want to talk about is... We can use some systemic fungicides also for downy mildew. Um, a couple of them are Mancazeb and Infuse. Um, we have them on the shelf. So if you want to use them as a preventative when you plant, you can also do that. Um, I also am recommending we use a lot of these types of impatients that are going to have downy mildew issues. We're going to put them in containers, um, you know, because we change the soil out every single year and uh, we also can sterilize the pots and we get them up off of splashing soil. Now let's face it, they can the spore can be moved around by um, wind and water and all types of environmental conditions. But I think downy mildew is here to stay. It's not going to go away. Um, so 
we're going to bring in the professionals from Proven Winners. And we've got Andy Aiken here in the uh, studio. Uh, Andy, uh, welcome. Thank you, Tom. And what is your exact title? Is it sales manager? I'm sales manager up at Pleasant View Gardens. Oh, right. And, and Pleasant View is where? We're in uh, Loudoun, New Hampshire, and we have a second facility in Pembroke, New Hampshire, right outside the Concord area. And you guys are one of our biggest suppliers of, of liners, which we grow on. Um, and what you'll see is a lot of our proven winter product is in our Estabrooks pot this year. Uh, that's kind of a change we've made. Um, we've put it in the pot to tell you that we're growing it. So it's growing right in our Yarmouth store. We ship it to all three of our stores. That's a change. You normally would see Proven Winners in their nice logoed white pot, correct? That's correct. Look for the white pot. That's right. But at Estabrooks, you're going to see it in our logo pot. Um, and you'll also see some of the white pots because we can't produce everything. And, and we do buy some finished product from Andy uh, over at Pleasant View. So tell us about the grand scope of Pleasant View because it's a big place. It is a big place. We are... Um we have two facilities, a total of 10 acres under glass, all modern greenhouses, and we also have another 20 acres of field production that we do right outside. So it's, um, it's, a, it's a big operation. There's two parts to the business. The first part is uh, we sell the infant plants to people like yourself, Tom, that grow them on to finish them off, and then we'll grow our own finished product that we can ship to the, the independent garden centers up here all over New England. Mm. Uh, we're actually the biggest FedEx customer in New Hampshire because we box so many of those little plants up and <laughs> ship them from uh, New England, but we have customers as far as um, Colorado and uh, down through Florida uh, with the infant plants. Wow, that's amazing. And, and how many millions of those do you do? We do about 30 million a year. Think about that, folks. 30 million plants. And that's just one, one grower. I mean, the small plant industry, it's amazing how many plants over this country are produced every year. And, uh, you know, we're just a small fish in the sea producing, um, but uh, the folks at Pleasant View do a great job. Um, so if you have a question about Proven Winners and uh, would like to call in, uh, you can call 775-1310. Or 877-393-8255. Andy's here to take questions. We're going to talk a little bit about downy mildew. um, Continue that conversation because Proven Winners has some excellent uh, replacements for... for, uh downy mildew on impatience. We do, Tom. And I think um, I was listening when you were talking to Lois earlier. And I think she's got a good point that both you guys made was that it's not going to be any one thing. There isn't that silver bullet plant that um, you as a retailer can put out at one area of the garden center for the customer to come in and and just do it. So it's going to be a a new adventure for everybody to kind of come in and try a bunch of different plants. But we've we've grown a lot lot more shade items that we offer Mm -hmm. in the lineup, and we can talk about some of those. Absolutely. Uh, we do New Guinea impatience as well. I mm-hmm. think that's the common one everybody's going to lean to at first. Right. Uh, I think the the caveat with those is that they're not going to grow as quickly or fill in as quickly as the old seed type of impatience. Right. Uh, and they're going to need a little bit more feed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't like the deep, deep shade as much as the old impatience. So I, I think the thing, too, when you look at that your spot in the garden that you traditionally threw impatience are, because they were so versatile. Right. Uh, that a lot of times you can get away with a little bit more sun items than full shade items if right. you take a look at it so um and and that's a guideline when you're reading the tags that sun recommendation is it may only be three or four hours but if that's full day sun it's getting that's mm-hmm. enough for, that you can use sun sun varieties in that area so, yeah i i mean for us on all of our our you know uh price tags that we put on plants you know a lot of times you'll see you know four to six hours of sun you know we consider full sun six hours 
we consider parts on four hours to three hours and dense shade two or less. You know, so people think of all day sun and, and, you know, if you've got four hours of hot sun in the middle of the day, that's, you can grow a full sun plant, no problem. You sure can. You and, sure can. And I think they'll, they'll actually perform a lot better, won't they? Yeah, I think a lot of times is uh, when they're in that baking sun from, you know, nine in the morning till seven at night, um, it's very difficult to keep up with the watering and, and nutritional needs in that sort of setting. So I think a lot of plants will do better if they get uh, a little protection at some point during the day. Especially those the summer. I mean, any time we can take a little bit of the heat off of some of these plants in the summer months, it, it makes a huge difference with them flowering right till fall. That's correct. That's correct. So other than New Guineas, what are we, what are we talking? I mean, I think you're right. I think that's going to be a, a big staple. Um, with New Guinea's, you know, you got to put in a lot more, you know, more plants, um, and the cost is is a big difference. It sure is. Yeah. Uh, so we're looking for other items that can really cover it. I know you mentioned sun patients as well. We're mm-hmm. offering them under the uh, Proven Selections line this mm-hmm. year, and I think the other two big ones uh, for coverage are the begonias, and mm-hmm. we offer two that are really kind of new. If you haven't looked at begonias, are the big series. And then the Whopper series, which is similar. Uh, the Whoppers tend to be a little bit bigger. Yeah. Um, and I love those plants. They're extremely tough. Uh, they will work in deep, deep shade, and they'll work in full sun as well. So it's a type of plant you can come in, and, and uh, you as the retailer can just say, yes. Can I plant it here? Yes. Will it flower here? Yes. Um, so it's one of my favorite new plants as far as that goes. Limited in color ranges is the only yeah. thing that we're all struggling with is to replace some of those really hot, bright colors that you're used to seeing in the impatient lineup. Yeah, on on the on the big begonias, uh, we've been carrying them and the whoppers for I think three seasons, and uh, it has they have been unbelievable growers. But it's tough because people are used to wax begonias, these little itty bitty muffins in the in the ground, um, and they kind of can tend to look like ducks in a row. Um, and you see them a lot in mass plantings. But these whoppers and and big begonias, you can put three or five of them in and they're going to get probably what 18 to 24 inches at least at least and and just flower no deadheading very easy low maintenance and like you said both ways sun or shade um and just a really really attractive plant they tend not to look like a lot in the pot no they are an ugly duckling plant meaning when you (laughs) buy them when, when they're young they're not so pretty but they do turn into that swan later on and and the color on them, I think, is the bigger difference from the old-style begonias is because the, the flowers are so big on right. those that the color impression is just fantastic. Right. And uh, the flower kind of elongates off of the foliage, which is not the case of the types you would buy in a six-pack. That's correct. Those tend to sit right down on the top of the foliage and even get buried in the foliage mm-hmm. a little bit sometimes, too. So uh, that would be a good option. Um, I think the other thing that we look at um, that people – in the proven winter lineup is much different than the old seed types is coleus. And I see that whole trend really taking off. It's mm. been that way for the last couple of years where tropicals are really in and hot nowadays. And I would put coleus in that, that sort of category because you're buying it for the leaf tone as opposed to the, the flower spike, which comes late in the summer. Um, and it's really nondescript on most varieties. Right. Um, but there's some great, really bright-leafed coleus. And again, the proven winter types that we're developing – uh, will take full shade as well as full sun. Right. And I think that's the biggest difference. And that's huge because the versatility, if you want to put some of the same plant in a container on your deck and match it up with what's over in the shade, I think that, that gives us a lot, of, a lot of versatility. It does. And, um, and they're very aggressive. Uh, the proven winter varieties uh, can get to 18 to 24 inches. Uh, they, they work well on mass plantings. They work well as specimen plants in containers. 
And my one caveat, if you are using them as that vertical feature in some of your, your mixed containers, they can get pretty big. Absolutely. You want to give them the room. Yep, you yeah. do. Um, but I like them because you can go in and you can really chop them back if they tend to take over. If they're a little too beastie in that, uh, in that container, you can chop them back. Um, where you create that wound at the top of the plant, it's just going to heal itself and, and then give you more breaks or more branches off of that point. So it's very forgiving that way too. Um, and I think people tend to be a little uncomfortable about chopping their, their containers back and their plants back, but you're really going to help that container out over time if you do that. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and don't hesitate to talk to us in the garden center about, you know, if if something's getting overbearing in a container or you wouldn't believe what we do to plants in the in the greenhouse. Uh we are constantly pinching and cutting them back and and reflushing them and a lot of times it just takes a little extra fertilizer and a little extra time, but the plant looks much better in the long run. Well, I know I do that too. I know at at home when I'm going to have a a family gathering or something about a week to 10 days before that happens, I'll go in and, and kind of cut everything back and give it a really strong feed. And uh, so it flushes out perfectly mm. kind of when everybody shows up. And uh, then I say, yeah, it always looks like this. Every day it's this beautiful. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that, that's kind of how it works at my house too. I think sometimes, uh, you know, some containers might get refreshed before a big event or, or a bunch of people coming over. So, um, you know, we're not perfect either here, folks. Uh, we constantly are, are working at our plants. And, and annuals, you know, the proven winner's by by far are very very low maintenance um and some of these options will not take a lot of time and energy these are just kind of tips you know that's correct and and i think what what makes proven winners different for people that don't know is we breed most of them to be sterile mm-hmm. uh, so the traditional seed annual if it goes to flower and you don't pick that dead flower off throws a seed right and once it throws enough seed it will stop flowering um, so you can feed it, pinch it, do whatever you want to it. Once it's produced enough seed, it's really done its traditional life cycle. Right. So by making ours not be able to throw seed, uh, we've tricked them. So they continue to flower much longer. They're going to want to feed more. But that's why you can get that performance from early spring right through the fall with the proven winter varieties. Yeah, we see that, you know, time and time again. You know, we can cut proven winters back. We can do many different things. But we don't have to pick, 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 you know. And, and that... When you look at the time and energy that you have to put into some of these things, um, you know, if you're not wanting to spend hours in your garden, a lot of these varieties, that, that just makes it so much easier. Yeah, a lot of them from Super Tunias to the Super Bells Calibracoa, the Verbenas, uh, because there's no seed heads, that flowers just dry up and, and tend to fall off on their own. So um, really eliminates a lot of that deadheading work out there that, that you traditionally did with, the, with other annuals. So talk to me about other other replacements for, for impatience. Um, the lobelias that we offer um, is a really good option. Um, they, people have used them in the sun, and they will do okay as long as you're very good about your watering. But I, I think they do much better through the heat of the summer in the shade. Um, we offer um, different shades of blues, lavenders, and whites. And that's a nice filler plant that we can use in containers. Uh, makes a nice edger in the border. But really, that, that a great uh, option for your, your shade containers to be able to fill in all that airy space. Yeah, I think lobelias are going to be huge. They come in whites, pinks, lavenders. I, I, there's been a huge variety, explosion of uh, lobelia. And uh, they come in more upright types. They come in more spreading types, trailing types. So, you know, lobelia are going to be one of those things. And I think Lois made a good point, too. She said it's the truest blue in the garden. And and I do believe that, but we also have different colors now, which is kind of nice. Um, 
So lobelias are going to be one of those things that are going to be more low to the ground. We're not going to get a lot of height, so those would be in the front of the garden. Um, you know, we're going to probably take a quick break now. We'll come back and we'll talk more with Andy about uh, other options, things that might get larger and whatnot. Um, but you're listening to For the Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks on News Talk WLOB. We know you have lots of choices when buying plants and garden supplies. But wouldn't you rather come to someone at your local garden center where you know us and we know you? Someone who knows Maine soil, Maine's climate, and knows what plants will thrive here. Someone who will make sure you find what you're looking for here or at one of our other independent garden centers. We support each other and work together to satisfy you. Wouldn't you rather come to your local garden center? We're the independent garden centers of Maine at maineigc.com. Do you have planting insurance? You can with Biotone Starter Plus from Muspoma. It's the ultimate starter plant food, and you can use it for everything you plant. Just mix it in with the soil. It works like three products in one to guarantee your success, even in poor soils. The secret is a special blend of natural organic plant food, beneficial microbes, and mycorrhizal fungi. The result is that plants grow faster, roots grow deeper, and flowers and vegetables become more abundant. Maintain your plants with the Tones, a full line of organic plant foods including Holly Tone, Plant Tone, and Rose Tone. There's a tone for almost every tree, shrub, flower, or vegetable. Best of all, every Espoma product is safe for people, pets, and the environment. Look for Biotone Starter Plus at your local garden center and visit espoma.com videos for product info and valuable gardening tips. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. Uh, we're sitting here with Andy Aiken from Pleasant View and Proven Winners, and we're talking replacements for downy mildew and patient problems. Uh, we're also going to talk about some new varieties coming up. But uh, if you have a question for Andy or myself, uh, give us a call at 775-1310 or 877 877- Three nine three eighty two fifty five. Um, we're here to answer questions on anything. It doesn't ha- necessarily have to be da- about downy mildew or impatience or proven winners. But if you've had some problems with proven winners, definitely call Andy. <laughs> let's put him on the hot seat. You know, let's get you straightened out. So um, we were talking about lobelia just a second ago, and and you know, I think that's going to go hand in hand with begonias and everything else. But um, what what else is on tap? We've got a, a good family of Terrenias as well. I'm not sure if you talked about those, but we have two different styles in the uh, Proven Winter lineup. The Catalina series are more mounding and a little bit more upright, uh, and, and some really nice bicolors. Uh, one of my favorites is um, Grape, mm-hmm. and it's a, a bicolor purple and yellow. And anything that's bright in the shade will really make things pop, and you can use it to contrast and pull uh, pull the colors or textures out of your plants that you have in that uh, container area in the, of the garden. So I love anything bright like that. So Yeah, yellow, my favorite color. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's nice blues, pinks, and whites in the Catalinas as well. Mm. Uh, and then slightly different habit are the summer wave terrinias. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a few different colors in those as well, but those are more prostrate. Mm-hmm. Uh, make a great ground cover if you're going to use them in the border. 
um, or cascading out of window boxes and containers. Uh, very aggressive, and I like them too because if you have that area uh, under maple trees where those roots are really high and tight, you can almost scratch the uh, the waves into the top of the soil. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be buried way deep, uh, and they'll catch and they'll take off and cover that area. And yeah, just they kind of root in, right? They do. Yeah. Yep, they'll, they'll throw that next branch out and root down from there. So it really um, will kind of creep out of that shade area uh, mm-hmm. and really make a nice matte ground cover with blues. Um, deep purples as well. Underused plant, in my opinion. Yes, I think all these shade items are going to get a second look now. Yeah, you know, I mean, we've been so so focused on impatience that, you know, a lot of these things, you know, we don't have huge numbers in, in the garden center, and no one really ever typically does. I think we've all upped the inventory a little bit on those, but we're all waiting to see what's going to be the hot plant too, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a couple of years for all of us. I know as as wholesale growers, we struggled and we had conversations with, with people like yourself starting from last spring at this time mm. as to what was going to happen. And uh, certainly, I, I don't think people maybe understand as much as the impact uh, up here in Maine, uh, but talking to customers, seeing it down uh, from Connecticut, Long Island, New Jersey, um, Cape Cod, uh, where most of every planting of impatience was just wiped out and it happens very very quickly so um we don't know we can't guarantee it will it won't happen but it's coming this way and there's no doubt it's going to be something we'll have to deal with so all of these options will be good but yeah i'm with you it's going to be really interesting to see what people turn to what they like and what they what they reach for as a replacement yeah my i guess my big suggestion for folks is try a bunch of things this year you know don't 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 go in and try to replace your planting of impatience you normally did, you know, with one or two things. Let's try six, eight, ten different things, you know, and see what works in your conditions. And then, you know, next year. And and the other part to that is that there may not be the inventory to walk in and buy 200 pots of one particular item on one particular day. It's not the same animal's that we're used to with buying six packs and big trays of 48 plants and you throw six of them on the cart and away you go. Well, if someone comes in to see you for those, those kind of volumes, you just give me a call, Tom. We'll, <laughs> we'll get them over to you the next I day. I think we probably have most people covered anyways. We, we grow a few plants, but, um, you know, we just don't know what's going to be hot. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. So, um, And I'm going to throw another one at you that's a little surprising um, and we own over my our company, the Huntington uh, Brothers, mm-hmm. and they've been the family's been around for about thirty five years up in New Hampshire now. But two brothers run the business, and one's passion, uh, Jeff's passion, is is creating and establishing our display gardens that we use for Absolutely. all of our um, evaluation and as a kind of a showpiece in the summertime for customers uh, to come up and see new plants and everything. And we've got a big shade structure up there that's built, and underneath that, he used the Illusion series of sweet potato vines. And I don't think people think of those as being able to to sustain and do well under the shade. But that particular one is an upright kind of mounting habit, Mm. not your traditional marguerite, which is going to be 40 feet long and (laughs) run off with the neighbor's kids by the end of the summer. This is more mounted, very controlled, um, and comes in um, a nice uh, chartreuse color and a deep purple color as well. Right. So emerald emerald lace and, and midnight lace. And uh, that's one, I think, to come in and and, and feature. And if you guys display that in with your other shade items, I love it because you can bounce those uh, magentas and blues of the terrenias and the um, pinks of your New Guinea impatience off that chartreuse color especially really makes it pop and brightens that shade area. So that's one that traditionally people wouldn't think of that I'd recommend uh, everybody try because it's very forgiving. It is a sweet potato vine, uh, and it's going to be tough uh, in, in the landscape. 
it grows and grows. Um, and, and that's the nice part. I, I, I agree with you. Sweet Potato Vine is on our list. And, and you can also pick up our list of what we're recommending on our website at estabrooksonline.com backslash impatience. And, and we have all the recommendations there. It's something you can pull up on our website. We'll also have handouts in the, in the um, garden center. But Sweet Potato Vine, I put on that list last week. Um, and I think it's one of those plants that in amassing – you know, and and with shade, we're gonna have to kind of rethink things a little bit. We're gonna have to have some texture items in there, like the coleus, like the the apomia or the potato vine. You know, that shows off all the other colors, and and we're not used to doing that at this point. No, and I think that's a great point. So, and especially that chartreuse color or white. Uh, another one I would throw at you, which um, I think everybody is familiar with, but may not realize um, does equally well in the shade, is diamond frost euphorbia. Uh, and that's a very happy plant. It's just a spray, almost like a baby's breath, but just covered in, in white flowers all year long, very forgiving with water, and, and uh, if, you're, if you're not the best maintainer of plants, one I would suggest <laughs> is, is a good choice for you because it's going to perform well uh, no matter what kind of care it really gets. Yeah, don't put it in a wet spot. No. It, it likes to be on the dry side. You know, more often than not in the, in the garden center for us is – making sure people don't overwater it yes you know um and and when you put it in a container if you're putting it with you know water lovers like lobelia or bacopa or something it it doesn't perform well no yeah that's very true but i've one of my favorite containers i did a few years ago in in full shade it was on the north side of my house never even saw any sun Mm. uh was diamond frost with a a pink nonstop begonia planted in the middle of it and uh, that pink flower would stick its head out through that spray of white uh, it was spectacular all year long and got to the point where the begonia was laid over because it needed water, but mm-hmm. you can always bring those back. Right. But the diamond frost never showed any any uh, susceptibility to being dried out. Mm-hmm. So those kind of combinations, again, I, I think are great. And, and I just want to reiterate your point about massing. I think when we try to get our shade garden to really pop as opposed to sprinkling uh, little bits of impatience everywhere. I think if we concentrate in one area and really make a big pop of color, mm. um, that's going to help to to brighten those areas as opposed to trying to do the whole border with some color. I think bigger bigger wax of, of bright colors are going to really show. And that's kind of a good topic. You know, a lot of these plants that, that Proven Winners have bred, you need maybe one plant comparative to six of a seed, you know, type to get the same impact. That's very true. Yes, I think um, read the spreads on the back of the tags, but I know um, and you, as a general rule, um, probably a two-foot uh, radius from where you plant that uh, one four-inch pot, uh, you're going to get that kind of coverage. Right. So they're very aggressive, um, so a little does go a long way. So, you know, it's not the same thing as when you go to plant your impatience and you put them every six inches and you really mass them in very, very tightly. The four-inch, you know, vegetative production type material like proven winners has been bred for less plants but when you mass them up and put three or five of them you can get an, a six by six or an eight by eight area completely covered by fourth of july looking beautiful it really comes down to water and fertilizer right that's that's exactly right i mean we at proven winners we're breeding for garden performance mm-hmm. um a lot of our, our competition breeds for Pat or uh, pack or pot performance, meaning it's easier for the growers to grow it, and that's what they select their varieties for. Um, when we were first started out, 
we really aggravated a lot of the growers because <laughs> the plants are so aggressive. Uh, it's hard to keep them under control mm-hmm. in the greenhouse um, environment. I think we've all learned how to do that, and we've done things to, to help improve the success and the look of them when they're young as well. Absolutely. But there's still uh, the main thing that we do at Proven Winners is, is select for that, that garden performance. So a little does go a long way. And I, I think if I leave um, your audience with nothing else today, it's it's really the feeding. And uh, the Proven Winners are going to love to feed a lot more than you're accustomed to to, to anything else if you haven't tried them. Um, you see the beautiful pictures in the magazines and on the website and, and some of the huge hanging baskets and containers when you go into Estabrooks to kind of inspire you. Mm. And that's done with, with feed. And uh, I think people might be scared about um, kind of the, some of the feed levels we pour on uh, super tunias, for instance, right. are the heaviest feeders. And um, I recommend almost uh, never watering with clear water. With yeah, those. We, we, we are constantly on feed, just so you folks know. Um, with our production, we use a light feed all the time. Sometimes we bump it up and we have a heavy feed. Um, but what I will say with Proven Winners and, and a lot of this vegetative stuff, the more feed you put on, the better the results, the bigger the flowers, the more production you get of that plant and the size. Um, and if you don't feed enough, it shuts down. It starts not flowering as well. Um, it just doesn't put enough growth and move past those old blossoms. That's correct. That's correct. So if you're not having a good time with Proven Winners or some of this stuff, it's probably because you're not feeding. Um, and, you know, certainly I want you to call in if you can. Uh, give us a call at 775-1310 or 877-393-8255. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. Regular old mulch leaving your plants wanting more? Casella Organics Nutri-Mulch is a superior mulch for improving any landscape. Made in Maine from aged native bark and earth life compost, its dark color and rich texture are ideal for perennials, ornamentals, trees, and shrubs. Earthlife Nutri-Mulch is nutrient-stabilized with compost, so the bark doesn't compete with plants for nutrients. Visit CaselaOrganics.com or call 800-4-COMPOST for a source near you. The Maine gardening season can often feel like a race. With cool early spring weather, this year is shaping up to be more of a sprint. Thankfully, spring has finally arrived and Estabrooks is here to help. With tons of all new plants, tools and supplies, along with your time-tested favorites, Estabrooks has everything you need to hit the ground running this spring. Don't know where to start? The gardening pros at Estabrooks will help you cross the finish line. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks, for the joy of gardening. Are you mom's favorite? With a hanging basket or patio pot from Estabrooks, you could be. Mother's Day is May 12th, and that means there's not much time left to show mom how much you care. From hanging baskets spilling with blooms to delightful planters full of her springtime favorites, Estabrooks has everything you need to make it a special day. Best of all, all hanging baskets and patio pots are now 20% off until Mother's Day. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Esther Brooks for the joy of gardening. And welcome back to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook, and we are talking with Andy Aiken from 
proven winners. And uh, if you'd like to call and uh, have a question, it's 775-1310 or 877-393-8255. Um, we'd love to hear from you. I know you're out there, so uh, don't hesitate to call uh, about anything. Um, we're here talking about uh, replacements for impatience, and uh, we're going to also probably talk a little bit about new varieties, too, because I know Proven Winners always is coming out with new stuff, but uh, I know you've got more you got to have more. I mean, impatience is such a big, big thing. So, I think that um, another area that, that people are going to really have fun exploring is the perennial yard. And I, I think for a lot of us traditional annual people, that's, uh, that's been kind of the dark side. I, I know 25 years ago, that's where all the action was, was in the perennial yard. And then with the advent of Proven Winners and, and other great vegetative annuals, I think that uh, that color area has really been what's been driving um, the excitement in the garden center. Mm-hmm. But I think it's time to take a look back into the perennial yard, um, especially for your containers. Uh, and again, when you're looking at these tags, a lot of the information on there is for the maturity of those plants. Right. So for hostas, astilbes, um, ligularias, those type of things uh, will work great in containers. And I love that option because you can enjoy them for that season in the containers. And in, in early fall, you can take those out when you replant with your fall mixes and move those perennials into your into your borders. So you can enjoy them in the containers for the whole season uh, and then take them out and, uh, and even divide them if you want to, but um, put them into your borders um, and enjoy them next year right in the garden. Yeah. So there's great options, great colors, uh, great themes. And a trick that I, I recommend to when I do talks at, at garden centers and, and container gardening is perennials, if you're buying them for the flower, tend to only flower over a given window, maybe right. four to six weeks. Right. Now, there's some stars out there that, that are longer <laughs> flowering, but for the most part, that's what you're going to find. So what I recommend is when you plant them in your containers, dig up the soil where you traditionally put that root ball in, but you can almost leave that perennial right in the container. Mm-hmm. And you can plant the whole container right in, and that way when that perennial goes by, it's easy to lift out of the container and slide another one right back in. Right. Because traditionally you're selling the, the containers that you'd use in that one-gallon size. You have all summer long in the, in the nursery that you right. can come back in and replace. And, and I like that. I think that a lot of times we're in the garden centers in May and early June. Uh, we get everything planted, and we assume that, that uh, the gardening season is there to enjoy in our yards, which it is, but we stop going to the garden centers. And I think uh, as an industry, we've done a much better job of keeping fresh new product all season long. And I'd recommend... Um, you know, get up early some morning before the heat kicks in in the middle of the summer. I think you'll be surprised to see what options are out there in the garden center yeah, and, throughout and the whole summer. I think that's an important point because, you know, we don't stock everything just for spring. You know, there are certain varieties that don't do well until summer, and we don't even have them until, you know, late June, July, August, you know. Um, it's Some varieties are better bred for the heat, and so we do promote those in the summer months, and so you really shouldn't be planting some of those in the early spring anyways. Um, That's correct, and you had mentioned new varieties, and, and I'll bring up one now because mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's pertinent to this discussion. We've got uh, an evolvulus plant called Blew My Mind, yeah. uh, and it's a deep, um, soft gray foliage with bright, bright blue flowers, and, and I'd uh, recommend Lois take a look at it because I think it's bluer than Lobelia. It's pretty blue, <laughs> and the foliage is phenomenal too. It is, but that's one you're not going to find in May in the garden center because it, it doesn't like it damp, it doesn't like it cool, and it's the anti-early New England plant. So we, we've struggled in production trying to get it up to size as an infant plant with, uh, with the yeah. low light levels and, um, and damp, dark weather that we get traditionally in the Northeast. But 
once the summer heat kicks in, there's not going to be a better plant for people to be able to try. And this is one that's going to show up again probably mid-June and still not look like it's going to look um, by the time you get another month of heat on it. So by mid-July, this is going to be a plant that's going to be a showstopper for everybody. Yeah, what I'll tell you folks is we have that in production, and what Andy has just said is exactly true. It is sitting there in the pot. It's looking back at us when we water it and saying, ha ha, I'm not going to grow until we get some warm weather. So we do have that in the plan. We will have it later on as soon as it looks good enough, but it is a slow and it loves the heat. And, you know, lantanas, some of the other things, you know, they sit there in the pot. Uh, Don't expect a lot out of them until we get some big, big heat. That's correct. And um, a couple new lantanas this year as well. Mm-hmm. And um, what we're breeding for at, at Proven Winners, at least for our Northeast partners, is varieties that are a little quicker to develop uh, yeah. that nice branching. Because we can certainly push them with heat, but with the old varieties tended to be real stringy and long. And as growers, we were constantly pinching them to get them to be nice and bushy. Um, but we've got a series now, the Luscious series at mm-hmm. Proven Winners. And two new colors, a Pina Colada, which I really like because we've all had heard that there was white lantanas out there, but they were really a pale yellow. Yeah. And uh, this one does start out, opens up as a yellow, but fades to a clear, clear white. Okay. So that's kind of an, a breakthrough in breeding right there. And then we've got Berry Blend, which is just a beautiful mix of yellows and pinks and oranges on the same flower. Oh, cool. Uh, so that's going to be a good one to look for as well. But again, two more heat lovers that... Um, Again, you, when you walk in now to, to buy them, not going to look all that great in that four-and-a-half-inch right. pot, but have a little faith. Yeah, they just they just never look like they should, you know. And and once we get to, say, mid-June and we start getting some really good temperatures, all of those things just start to pop. And then they really start to sell for us. But you probably won't see a lot at our garden center on the bench early, um, you know, in May because they just don't look good enough for, for us to feel comfortable putting them out there for you. But, uh, you know, again, visit the garden center like Andy was saying because things are constantly changing. Yeah, and, and I think uh, especially when you're doing your perennial beds because you mm. come in and you, you're buying colors, what, what your eye is attracted to, what you're buying for. And um, I think if you talk to a lot of first-time perennial bed um, gardeners is if they go back and look what they planted last year, they have a beautiful display of Mayflowering varieties. And then by early June, uh, there's a bunch of uh, lettuce out in there. (laughs) (laughs) Perennial beds. Yeah, it's tough. And and the other thing is when you come into the garden center, you should always talk to us about the natural bloom time of when these plants will bloom in the garden. Because we've gotten so good about growing some of these plants that we have them in bloom in April, May, June, July, and August. And that's really just because you you folks are buying color um so it, it you know with all of the perennial stuff you know stop and talk to our staff you know is this normally the time it's in bloom it, let's face it if it's been grown in a greenhouse since february it's ahead of schedule um you know we live here in the arctic and we have not let's face it had much of a spring until now um it's been quite cold and now it's time to plant annuals, plant perennials, plant trees and shrubs. Everything's starting to bloom. Roses are ready. It's time to go. It is time to go. So you can see the forsythia popping everywhere, and, and uh, yeah, it is time to go. Yeah. Yeah. So another great variety, Tom, that uh, has kind of been the buzz of the industry is the lemon slice calabricoa. I know oh, you guys have a lot of that going oh. in the greenhouse, and how's that shaping up for it's you? It's looking good. I mean, that you know, the one thing I will say about lemon slices, if you step back about 15 feet, it looks like a yellow. It does. But boy, when you come up, it's got those nice white veinations in the flower. gives a lot of texture. I think 
you know, container gardens are going to be phenomenal. Hanging baskets, a real nice splash and a mixed combo. Uh, just a really nice, nice plant. Yeah, and I would, I, I just echo that point. I do think it's an intimate plant. So mm-hmm. as, a, as a mass planting in the border, it will be pretty. It will look nice, but it's going to have that more of a straight yellow appearance. But when you get up close to it, uh, really pulls you in the the contrast of the white striping on that yellow flower is just amazing. Yeah, I think it's a winner for sure. Yeah, yep. and then uh, another one I would categorize that way. That same kind of intimate plant is people may remember pretty much Picasso yeah. uh, as a petunia and. I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we still carry it. It's still a good plant. Yeah, it's a novelty type plant. It was really one of the, the more wild type of supertunias that we introduced. Um, and tough it was for a grower. Tough for a grower yeah. um, and, and uh, a novel one, but um, really kind of a, a, a more of a species type of plant. Mm. Very sticky, um, very difficult to kind of use in containers because of that, that mix, but um, a fun one and, and really did well in sales because people really were attracted something to that. Something different. Yep. We love something different. But this year we are introducing Picasso in pink. Uh, and I would say another one where it's going to look like a pink petunia from a distance, but when you get up close to it, it's going to have that nice green variegation to the, the edge of the flower. Right. And uh, it's really going to jump at you. And, and I would say if you've tried the regular Picasso weren't happy because of its, its habit. This one's much different. This is much more of a truer supertunia, much more compact and controlled. And you're not going to have some of those um, those tough running issues that you've had with uh, with the regular Picasso. So take another look at this one. And I love it, too, because the pink on it is really a, a beautiful pastel, bright pastel pink. It's a much better improvement, folks. The growing habit's much better. What we've seen in the garden, it works much better in combinations. It doesn't take over. Um, uh, you know, it is one you should look at. Absolutely. So, um, a couple other new varieties this year. We introduced uh, Snow Princess Lobularia a couple of years ago, which is the proven winner type of alyssum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if people have tried uh, alyssum, traditionally you've bought alyssum in six packs in the early spring. It's a cool weather variety. Um, and by the time the warm weather, never mind the heat kicks in, it, it really kind of peters out. doesn't right. like the warm temperatures. But the proven winter varieties, you can plant from mid-April. And uh, they'll flower almost through Thanksgiving, even up here in Maine, um, and they'll take the cold. So I'm excited this year because we have two new colors. We've got uh, Blushing Princess, which is a purple flowering variety, Mm. same sort of uh, performance as the Snow Princess, but it's going to be a a lavender purple. Yep. And we've got Frosty Night, um, which is a variegated foliage, which adds some extra attraction to it. I like that one. Yep, And, uh, and clear white flowers on it. And I like it because it's got about half the vigor of the other two. The other two are very big, aggressive plants. Um, really, if you're going to be using them in containers, you need to mix them with something like a Vista bubblegum type of plant yeah. that's uh, one of the other real aggressive types. Um, but Frosty Night's a, a smaller scale variety and very good, I think, going to be great in containers. I think that one's going to be excellent to mix in, you know, the contrast of the foliage, not you know, let alone the flower. Um, and, again, the rate of growth is much slower. Otherwise, if you're using Snow Princess or, or whatnot in a container, you that is one you want to shear back periodically. You're going to have to. Yeah, it's, yes. it's just, it's a, it's a monster. And that, I think, is a good plant, too, for that part shade replacement of impatience, too. Yes, it's going to be a great ground cover, and, and uh, I think one of our best proven winter plants for the border. It's it's definitely one that if you're looking at a seed alyssum and a proven winter or vegetative alyssum, go with the vegetative. I know it's more money for one plant compared to six, but one plant will outperform six or even 12 plants in a seed six-pack. I mean, they really do that much 
better. Yeah, it is a bang for your buck um, proposition with with the proven winners, and I think Lobulary is a great one if you haven't mm-hmm. tried proven winners. Is trying to get introduced to what they're all about. We'll give you that um, absolutely. And if you have to see it for yourself, plant both and see what happens. I I in I have had customers do that. They plant both, you know, and. Nine times out of ten, they come back to the proven winter variety because you don't have to plant as many plants, and they perform so much better. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. You may not know it, but most lawn fertilizers actually spread chemicals and pesticides across your entire lawn. Until now, that's been the history of lawn care products. It's also why Espoma has developed an affordable, all-natural lawn program that is safe for kids and pets. The program consists of four organic fertilizers that are specifically formulated to keep your lawn green. Each product lasts two and a half times longer than traditional chemical products, and they won't burn your lawn or leach away. You already know Espoma as a name you can trust. They've been making organic plant foods like Holly Tone and Plant Tone for over 84 years. Imagine a great-looking lawn that you're not afraid to walk barefoot on. It's a whole new day in lawn care. Look for Espoma organic lawn food products wherever quality lawn and garden products are sold. And visit Espoma.com slash videos to learn more about organic lawn care. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929. At Costa Maine Organic Products, we've known for a long time that plants love lobster just as much as people do. It's one of the reasons we started composting marine residuals back in 1996. And although we've had great success in getting gardeners and their plants hooked on lobster throughout New England, the Mid-Atlantic, and Midwest, the heart and soul of what we do is here in Maine. Plants love lobster because the calcium and chitin in the lobster shells break down in the composting process and become plant-ready food that help to make your plants strong and healthy. And of course, the plants don't use any butter, so they're even healthier. So support your local retailer and Maine's lobster industry by using Coast of Maine's Quaddy Lobster Compost in your garden. Coast of Maine, the lobster compost company. Approved for organic growers by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Visit us at www.coastofmaine.com. And welcome back to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. Uh, we're talking with... Andy Aiken uh, from Pleasant View Gardens and Proven Winners. And uh, if you have a question and want to call in, it's 775-1310 or 877-393-8255. We've been talking about all kinds of new stuff. And over the years, Proven Winners has come out with so many different things. Um, What else is exciting? Well, I think the, the biggest increase in an item that we introduced a couple of years ago in, in sales is it, it's not an individual variety, Tom. Right. It's, um, we've been doing these, um, we call them foolproof containers, mm-hmm. uh, but they're mixed liners. Uh, so what I mean by that is three different varieties in the same liner. It's transplanted and we're using them to make hanging baskets as growers. Uh, but the biggest area I've seen that people have gotten so excited about is we're putting one in like a six and a half inch or eight inch pot. Yep. And it's a pre-made mini container. And with that proven winter vigor in those plants, you can take that one six and a half inch or eight inch pot and drop it right into your 
12-inch, 14-inch uh, ceramic container that you may have bought last year right. and have instant color, instant results. So mm-hmm. that does two things. For that gardener who's short on time, soccer games, baseball games, everything they're running in, they can come in and really in a, in a, in a matter of a few minutes pick out a color scheme they like and be able to grab a few trays of those and go home and plant up and be done very easily. Right. I also think it's been great for that younger, newer consumer who doesn't know. Right. Uh, it's like walking into the department store and know you need an outfit but don't know what you want, and then you see the mannequin there and you go, oh, I like that, and you right. put, the, put the outfit together from that. These are pre-made, so you can kind of come in, and what we've done is taken the guesswork out of it by sure. putting these varieties we know are going to grow well together uh, in that container. Uh, so it's it's taken that out, and you can mix and match, and two in a window box, one in, a, in that patio pot out front. Uh, you can use them in the garden. You can use them to make hanging baskets. So we've seen huge excitement around that because mm-hmm. it's really made it so much easier with the different combinations. And um, what traditionally had been just pastels, I think we were all in oh, the pinks, yeah. blues, silvers, ranges. Um, what I've seen the last couple of years is just an explosion of purples and oranges and reds together combinations that um you know even four or five years ago people wouldn't even think about doing yeah hot colors hot colors we're putting together i think the season showed up here people um you know uh things are still tough out there for people but um, i think that hot bright color they they want some excitement Mm -hmm. uh and to be home around the garden those colors have really taken off we've definitely seen that Uh, we grow a lot of these in hanging baskets for you folks um different combinations of of these multi-liner type uh you know liners that we buy from from andy um and Man, the combos are just getting better and better. Um, what I'll say is that is an area we have expanded tremendously in in uh, our hanging basket line. A lot of people will take a 10-inch hanging basket, pop the hanger off, pop the hanger out, throw it in a big 14- or 16-inch pot, and bam, they're done. Yes. And, you know, for 20 or $25, you know, if you had to buy all those 4-inch pots, buy all of the materials, the extra soil, all of that, it's a wash it by is. far. Um, it is. And you've got the nice, fortunate situation that we have grown this basket that's nice and big, and you put it in the pot, and you almost look finished that day. Yeah, I think that uh, that's the culture nowadays, right. and people want to just, and, and uh, it's more decorating than gardening, which is great, and I think as an industry, we've done a good job of, mm-hmm. of trying to address that. So these do that, um, and it allows it to make it uh, a fun, easier experience. Um, I know that uh, I've been in the garden center with you and uh, you mentioned gloves, uh, digging a hole and a little sweat and, and people's eyes roll in the back of their head. So this <laughs> kind of, this will avoid that kind of kind of issue. So we're excited about those. Um, some of the more traditional uh, varieties that are my favorites, um, I, I think we could touch on a few of those, is uh, Vista Bubblegum. Yes, good uh, grower. Excellent grower, very uh, vigorous, uh, bright pink petunia. A little goes a long way. Mm-hmm. One or two in a whiskey barrel is going to be more than enough. Yep. Uh, They're that aggressive. Um, They'll get to be almost waist high. So it's not something that you're going to want to use in mixed containers unless it's with something like a lobularia, something that's higher on that that aggressiveness standpoint. Um, But just a great, will flower all season long, uh, stands up to the weather, and uh, and does very well. We talked about Diamond Frost. That's another one of my favorites. Uh, for the garden, uh, towards the back of the border, we do Senorita Rosalita. I love that plant. It's a Cleome. Uh, and we've put the proven winner spin on it by making it thornless yes. and seedless. Anyone mm-hmm. that's done the traditional Cleomis, you'll find them in your garden for years to come because that seed spreads so so much. But these won't throw seed. Um, one pot, 
will get to be about uh, two to three feet wide, two to three feet tall, covered in flowers all year long. Mm. And I love it because it doesn't get those dirty ankles, doesn't brown out at the bottom by the right. soil level, um, and will last into October up here with great color. It's almost like a mini shrub. Right, right. And we've added a sister plant this year, Senorita Blanca, which is a pale, pale lavender, almost a white. Mm-hmm. Same height, same performance on it, um, but contrasts very well. And uh, with a dark leaf coleus in the garden, boy, it's spectacular. Yeah, that would that'd be a nice combo, or even a container, right? Yes. Again, yeah. I think with the uh, with those two cleomies, they're going to be more of a specimen plant. So um, I always get the new plants for next year, and I had tried that one at home, put it in the center of a container with planted some other varieties around the base, and. Went away for three or four days and came back, and the Cleome had uh, <laughs> pushed the other plants fa- right out of the pot, basically. Didn't fare so well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, they definitely are water lovers, for sure, with the Cleome. They they really need the water and the feed, and, and I don't think we can stress enough the feed factor. Yeah, especially that one. I've seen it, too, where you'll see it's real spindly, real small, and people aren't happy with it, and that's just a difference of that, uh, that extra water and, and certainly the feed. And uh, let's just kind of hammer that point home together mm-hmm. with the proven winners. Um, you buy them, you, you spend a lot on them, you make the investment, you want the performance you see on TV and, and in the magazines, and um, that's just from feed. If you feed them, they will perform. They're bred to do that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the blue goo, that's what I like to say. <laughs> you know, mix it up, uh, hook it up to the hose however you need to. Um, it's definitely one that I would recommend you need to consistently feed, folks. And I'm talking about the high nitrogen fertilizer like a miracle grow or peters or or proven winners has has a fertilizer also but you need a liquid heavy feed for for a lot of these vegetative to perform very well especially in your containers tom because you get some of those summer rainstorms where you get that heavy downpour and and you may have just fertilized that morning but all that fertilizer in those containers has now been washed completely Mm -hmm. out the bottom of that container so in your beds, they're going to have a little bit more leeway there, but right. certainly in containers, um, those baskets, hanging baskets, yep. they're going to burn right through that fertilizer very quickly. All right. Well, we want to thank Andy Haken from Pleasant View. Uh, hope we'll have you on the, uh, again here in the near future. Love to, Tom. It's annual time. It is. Okay. I want to make sure everybody understands that. And uh, we're going to switch over to the tip of the week. And uh, the tip of the week this week is brought to you by the Maine Landscape and Nursery Association, or Melna.org. And it's that time of year. It's time of year to get out there, start planting your annuals, perennials, trees, shrubs. The nurseries are have the best variety at this point. And today is Maine Nursery and Greenhouse Day. And this is a, a, a event that our industry is trying to get off, off the ground here in the state of Maine. It's uh, fashioned kind of similar to uh, Maine, you know, uh, Blueberry Day or, or uh, Maine Maple Sunday or, or many other days. Um, but what I will say is get out in the garden center. It's time to start planting. Um, annuals are all the way into on the benches. They're ready to go. Uh, Vegetables were still a little bit early, you know, but it's time to start thinking about it. Uh, get out there, get your gardens prepped, start mulching, clean up. Uh, what I will say is it's time to get gardening, folks. We're ready for you. We have some beautiful roses that just came in, but the tip is let's go ahead. Let's get gardening, and uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful Saturday. Uh, I know I'm going to be in the Yarmouth store today. Uh, we're going to be 
stocking the benches with fresh annuals that have just come in. A lot of the proven winter product is is looking unbelievable. Definitely check out that lemon slice, Calibracoa. I think it's an absolute phenomenal variety. Um, we're going to talk a little bit at the end of the show here. May Nursery and Garden Center Day. Come in. Stop into a bunch of different garden centers. Go out, take a drive, hit a bunch of us, take a look at all the stuff, start buying. Uh, I want to make sure you check our website out at estabrooksonline.com. If you're looking for information on the impatience, uh, estabrooksonline.com backslash impatience. We're going to have a wonderful day. Look at the blue sky out there to the north. Fair weather for the next week. No rain in the forecast. Uh, Mother's Day next week. Check out our Hanging Basket and Patio Pot promo. And uh, hope to see you in Yarmouth at the Garden Center. Have a wonderful Saturday afternoon. All right. Fox News Radio. I'm Chris Foster. 